0: Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two.
1: Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Uh, Today, we have a very special guest, uh, Valen Kiefer. She's a survivor. And she is a double organ transplant survivor, a kidney transplant and a liver transplant. And today we're going to hear her amazing story. Welcome to the show, Valen.
0: Hi, Lori. It's so nice to be here and talk to you. Thank you for this opportunity.
1: So tell us a little bit about how you first learned you were going to need, you know, a kidney transplant because you received a kidney transplant when you were a teenager, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. I was diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease when I was 10, which is a genetic disease that I inherited from my mother's side of the family. And I was diagnosed because I went to a pediatrician for just a normal follow-up and wound up having sky-high blood pressure. And that's a common symptom for polycystic kidney disease. And I got sent for an ultrasound and my both of my kidneys were polluted with cysts. And at that point, that's when I was diagnosed with PKD. And I experienced issues all throughout middle school and high school with cyst bleeds, which is another complication from the disease. And I found out that I needed a kidney transplant when I was 18 years old, uh, because at that time I wound up becoming severely ill with cyst bleeds. And I spent about a year in the hospital.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: believe it or not, both of my kidneys were working 60% when they took them out. But the cysts wouldn't stop bleeding and they had to make that hard decision.
1: Just to explain polycystic kidney disease, just give a little overview of what that is.
0: Yes. So it's one of the most common life-threatening genetic diseases. And what happens is the kidneys get polluted with cysts and over time deteriorate in function and causes the need for dialysis transplantation. And the kidneys can grow to the size of footballs and they cause a lot of pain, and some of the symptoms with it, in addition to the pain, is high blood pressure. You can get cyst bleeds, and when you think of the disease as a cystic disease, besides the cyst forming on the kidneys, cysts can form on the liver. You can get aneurysms, which you think of cysts, you know, in the brain. You can also get diverticulosis, so cysts in the intestines, so there's a lot of issues with it. With it being genetic, it's you know, cellular and you get, you know, you can get a lot of issues and you have a 50% chance of passing it on if you have a child.
1: Well, in polycystic kidney disease, I mean, they call it polycystic kidney disease because it's the cysts have attacked your kidneys. Is that the most common thing that's attacked or you just never know? It could be any part of the body.
0: Most common is the kidneys. And I hear a lot of people have liver issues, which I wound up having, which although mine were unique than normal uh but then I hear a lot of people with you know the other issues I know people that have aneurysms have family members that passed away from it my mom herself has diverticulosis uh so it it's um, you know disease that greatly affects an individual but with it being a family disease it is just really hard on families because not only one person is enduring it but many throughout mm-hmm. the family and history and no. And
1: you, and to have a 50% chance of passing it on, I know there's a lot of research going on to to work on that, which is wonderful because that's just a huge statistical number. Like if you have a child, you have a 50-50 chance of passing this illness on, which, you know, they're going to have complications at some point in their life.
0: Absolutely. And that makes it a really hard decision, of course. And in my family, the statistic of 50%, we're nowhere close because everyone in my immediately immediate side of the family has PKD. You know, I inherited it from my mom. My brother has it. One of his child has it. My aunt passed from it. I never met my grandmother because she passed away and so on. just going down wow. the line. So this wow. It a, had a devastating impact on my family, which has really fueled my passion of being a patient advocate.
1: Well, uh Tell us a little bit about because I think one of the things that people don't really realize that is that you could you could get another transplant and you needed a liver transplant because you're just an overachiever Valen. I I'm saying you are an overachiever. So you can stop now, okay?
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what that was like and how scary it was because with with needing a kidney, you know, you have dialysis available. As a bridge with a liver, you don't, and the rules are different. And that was one of my biggest concerns.
0: So like we talked about earlier, when I was 18, they removed both of my kidneys, which, of course, put me on dialysis immediately. And I was on dialysis for about eight months until I received a living donation at 19 years old, a kidney from a family friend. And I did really well with that for around 10 years. And we thought, okay. You know, I, I conquered PKD in a sense, you know, but kidneys out, a kidney transplant. I had been through so much through childhood and as a teenager and I was doing really great. And as far as we knew, all scans were fine of my liver. I never had one fist on it. So I really didn't think about it. And then, um, the fall of 2016, I started to get severely ill again. I wound up getting sepsis infections and go into the hospital, really sick, a blood infection, and we couldn't find the cause. And super scary. And then six months later, it happened again. And we're like, okay.
1: I remember that. I remember that. I was following on Facebook. We're all like giving you, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And trying to figure out what was causing this sepsis. And for people who don't know what sepsis is, it's an infection of the blood. And it's life-threatening.
0: Yes, and what happens is there's a source for it. You know, an infection starts somewhere and then it gets into your bloodstream. But I went into the hospital, all tests were normal, you know, all the blood work and it just became this huge mystery and really concerning. And all of a sudden the gaps in time got shorter. And we got to a point where it was every three months. And some people don't survive it in one episode, let alone all of these. So um, I wound up getting connected with an infectious disease doctor and we did all kinds of tests and it wound up taking a PET scan, which it took so long to get that approved because normally you only get a PET scan when you have a risk of cancer. And they didn't suspect that I had cancer, but we needed to find the source of this infection and it wound up my liver lit up. And that's what started to take us down the path of finding out what was wrong in the cause of my sepsis. So it wound up that I did not have one cyst on my liver but the bile ducts in my liver were malformed. So instead of the normal, smooth, straw-like appearance of the bile ducts in a liver, mine looked like the limbs of an oak tree. They had a beaded appearance and they were just gnarly looking. It was so scary to see them for the first time. And what wound up happening is I was getting liver infection because the bile wasn't flowing smoothly. And then because of having a suppressed immune system because of my kidney transplant. My body couldn't fight it, and then it got into my bloodstream, and that's why I kept getting sepsis. Well, now I needed a life-saving liver transplant. <laughs>
1: that I mean, what was it like? Now, I want to go back a little bit because uh, you met the love of your life in, in your 20s that has been by your side the entire time. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you met him, and then I, I want to talk a little bit about you know, getting this diagnosis together.
0: Thank you for just bringing this up because it's, um, it means a lot to me. And because of Noah, he's helped me greatly. I met Noah, we know, when we were in our early 20s. And we grew up in Pennsylvania, actually met through mutual friends and just an instant bond and connection. And we wound up moving to California and we've been here now for 10 years and call California home and love it here. When I met him, it was after all of my severe health issues, and I was post-transplant. I was working full-time, doing all my advocacy, which was like another part-time, full-time job. And I took meds three times a day, but you wouldn't have known I ever went through anything. Picture of health, as people said then, and they still say today.
1: <laughs> Invisible illness, uh, right?
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and I remember that when he went to my parents to ask, uh, went to my dad to ask um, if he could... Uh, you know, asked me to marry him, my dad kind of gave him a bit of a warning that the future may not be easy, that, you know, we had been through a lot and that wanted to make sure he was aware of the hardships that could come with marrying somebody, you know, that was post-transplant and that other things could come up. And I even warned him, which is funny. (laughs) It's like, oh, this incredible man wants to marry me. And I just, I give him a heads up. I just wanted him to be honest, you know, this isn't we may not live a so-called normal fairy tale relationship. And um luckily, you know, he he took it on and all of that, but we quickly, quickly went through uh a lot after being married, and I have been so amazed by him as a caregiver and how much I value his support and how much he's helped me through this. And it just shows uh, what caregivers go through, their important role. And I can't imagine having gone through this myself. You know, my parents showed me unconditional love as a child, and I didn't know if I'd ever find that. And I'm so thankful I did, and a husband, and we we made the best of it, regardless of the times. That's what has been amazing with him, is he's always brought joy and laughter to every day which has just helped me, you know, always given me something to look forward to. And we strive to live the best quality of life, even during all of those sepsis episodes and scary, life-threatening days of, you know, not knowing if I'd make it.
1: Well, and, you know, I I have some pictures in my mind of you. And, you know, I've been the same way is that, you know, you're in the hospital, and you don't have one bruise on you. You have fifty bruises on you. You look like you were hitting an alley, and um, your arms and you know they would even go after my feet for IVs, mm-hmm. and and you know you're you're you feel really you know it kind of sometimes feels like you're not human because you're you're so full of pin needles and and to have a spouse that loves you unconditionally and is in love with you and you know it doesn't matter what your body looks like they're in love with you is such a gift and it's possible you know we both have it i have a loving husband you have a loving husband so those of you who think you may be damaged or something like that just be yourself and show your spirit and you know your prince will come
0: Yes, that's such an important message. <laughs>
1: it, 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 it is. But, um, you know, I also want to just move to the point where, you know, you're in the hospital, you're hearing all this information, Noah's by your side, and you're told, how did you hear about you're going to need a liver transplant? Or had you done research ahead of time and figured it out before the doctors?
0: Well, when I was in the hospital and I saw what the liver looked like, all of a sudden, When the scan showed up and my doctors looked at it, everybody all of a sudden became quiet and said that I was going to be referred to a hepatologist, a liver specialist. And I thought, those things just changed here. And I wound up looking online. At the time, I was diagnosed with primary sclerosing cholangitis, which wound up being a misdiagnosis. Upon pathology of my liver, it was determined that it was the polycystic kidney disease and a liver transplant was going to be needed. It shook me up. You know, it was, it was right. really hard to read that. And then when I wound up hearing it from my hepatologist, uh, it was a, it just was, we were all in shock. And honestly, myself and my family were quite devastated. One of those of like, you know, Oh my goodness, you know, just been through so much and hard to believe this was going to be the next health hurdle. But like you said earlier, one of my biggest fears was that there wasn't dialysis for a liver. Like, you know that you have a lifeline and, and something to be the bridge until you can get the transplant. There was no bridge for a liver, meaning this was really life and death.
1: And, and what's different about a liver, please, please explain it to me. But, you know, you have to be super healthy to get a kidney. But with the liver, they kind of judge you in different ways. Like, how sick are you? Um, and like with the heart, like, how sick are you? So sometimes being healthy and have, needing a liver transplant is not what you want. You have to get a certain amount of uh, toxins in your body or something like that. I may not be explaining it right, but how did that work? And that's what's really, that was
0: another really scary thing is that it's based on a MELD score where you're calculated based on lab numbers and how you're doing. And the higher the MELD, the higher you go up the list. And hopefully, the sooner you'll be offered a transplant. And in California, the numbers are different than in other places. And based upon my scoring, I would have had to wait a year, year and a half for a liver. And my doctors told me I wouldn't have survived that long. And they said that my best option was to get dual listed in the Midwest to see if I could get a transplant sooner. And that's what we did, which wound up having us temporarily relocate to get my transplant at Barnes-Jewish Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. So yet, in a, like, yet again, another huge thing, temporarily relocating for a transplant while being severely ill was its own um, journey, for sure.
1: Well, so you actually moved to Missouri?
0: Yes. Yep, we temporarily relocated for seven weeks and uh, got the liver transplant there and healed long enough until the team felt that I was um, well enough to fly home and continue to recover in California.
1: So so basically, did they, your mailed score get high enough where you felt, well, we need to make the move to be in the area because they, they know you were bouncing to the top of the list to get a liver?
0: Yes. So, I was evaluated for liver transplant in California. I got my meld score, which was high but not high enough to be able to get a liver transplant as soon as I needed it. So we went through a transplant evaluation at Barnes Jewish Hospital, and I got around the same meld score there, but my meld score actually put me as number one on the list for my blood group Wow and that's how sick I was. So when everything went through and I was number one, we temporarily relocated and flew there. And I was so lucky that we only waited one week until I got the call that a liver was available.
1: Oh, my goodness. And um, I, I'm, I'm getting anxious just thinking about it. So you get the call, you have the kidney transplant, you get the liver transplant. So h- were there any differences? I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, do is, it, is the liver sitting next to your kidney? Are they friends now? How did that work? I'm trying to lighten this very, very difficult topic, but it's, it's, was it, was it any different than getting a kidney transplant? Well, I know
0: perspective wise, it felt different. Like when I look back, uh, this August, I call August my miracle month. So this August will be 18 years since my kidney transplant and will be two years since my liver transplant. And when you think of going through a big life challenge when you're a teenager versus this as an adult, it felt very different to me. It was different situations, different time periods in my life. You know, with the kidney transplant, I was so sick. I was in the hospital almost a year and there was just so much going on and I didn't really have, uh, you know... Thinking big picture, like I right. didn't really have any well, worries. You know
1: what, though, when you're a teenager and I can I even I had two transplants that, you know, didn't one didn't work at 13, one at 17. I'm like, do you want to get another one at 24? And I'm like, oh, sure. And I mean, I really thought I was indestructible. Um, mm-hmm. And then as you get a little older, you're like, ah, that's so indestructible anymore. Um, and, and it starts to creep into your psyche that, you know what? Am I indestructible? Is this my last, you know, <laughs> rodeo? I mean, you you start yeah. to get really scared because um you're you're playing the odds and you know the odds when you're an advocate. You hear it, you feel it. You you know how people don't survive. And and as you know, um, Val, and the pain in the asses live. You have to be your own advocate. You have to ask questions. You have to be a polite pain in the ass. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to push and push. And it's it's, it gets exhausting. But you know, it's what we have to do to live.
0: Absolutely. And that's the how I was feeling. You know, I, I, now in my 30s, married, we have a house, we love where we live, we've created this life, and I don't want that to change. And that was the difference from being younger. I knew what was at risk here. And honestly, the biggest thing that fueled me is I hated the thought of Noah being alone and having to explain to people that he had a young wife that passed away. I just, I, for some reason, envisioned that. I hated the thought of that, and that fueled me to get through it. But I did have those thoughts of, like, I've been through so much. I was given the gift of life once. Am I going to be lucky to receive this twice in my life? And Or is my body going to be able to survive this after all it went through? You know, my abdomen has been through so many different surgeries besides the kidney transplant, and the liver transplant is one of the biggest surgeries. They say it's bigger than open heart surgery.
1: And did they take your own liver out?
0: Yes. Okay. Yep. And and the liver is huge, you know, and I thought, how is my body going to handle this? How is it going to recover? What's it going to be like managing meds now with two transplants? How are we going to make both happy? All of those questions. I wound up uh, and I thought, okay, how am I going to wake up? You know, is there going to be like breathing tubes for how many hours? Cause I had one of them <laughs> the before. Bands, yeah. and, and just, they scare me so much. I wound up, I have pictures, you know, taken of course after I woke up from liver transplant surgery. I thought I looked better and prettier than I did when I went into surgery. <laughs> it was amazing how well it went. Like I, when I woke up, I, my first memory is seeing my dad and Noah walk into the room, into the ICU room and the surgery went great. I was doing really well, no breathing tube. Um, I wound up being like transferred to the next stage of the room within like 24 hours. I was on up and like sitting and walking really soon, like all of this. it just, I was in awe of yet again, what my body went through and how it was recovering. And I remember when I woke up, all I wanted to see was Noah, and I knew everything was going to be okay. And when I woke up and saw him and thought, Oh, my gosh, I'm still alive. I honestly thought I am supposed to be here. <laughs> like, I am supposed to be here. And I have a lot of work to do and a lot of, you know, things. And that's why I'm so like purpose driven in my life. And um, I think, in perspective of Kidney or liver first, you know, liver's more resilient. So I think if I had to plan it out, I did good by getting a kidney first and then the <laughs> liver. Um, because just med wise and everything, they increased both of my meds for a while. Uh, but then over time decreased them and now I'm down to close to the same level that I was. Um, I'm actually on like less overall meds after the liver transplant because I'm just a lot healthier. Um, I, I just, I feel the healthiest. And like the best version of myself that I've been in years, and I'm still pinching myself that I was able to overcome this, get this. to the
1: other side. Well, you know, you you touched on something that I think that I see in many long term advocates. And when I wrote my book, chronically happy, uh, the title really was chronically happy. Damn it, because it takes a little anger to be. An advocate, and I—I I hear that anger, like, "Oh, you're not going to get me, boy," um, and and the fight, the fight that has to come, and and you have to, you know, and and sometimes I get afraid of my anger, but I know that if I channel it, it's what makes me survive. And maybe we could talk a little bit about how uh, you've become aware of, you know, just how your emotions help you navigate and then to get them in check when they're getting out of control?
0: Absolutely. My, I think my focus on living an intentional life of really harnessing all of this and using all the things I've been through for something good is what helps keep them in check, you know, versus uh, dwelling on what I've been through or being upset about it or bitter about it. Knowing that I'm using the experiences to help spread empowerment and education to others gives purpose to the pain and all of a sudden turns it into something good, which then eliminates any anger that could come up from any of it. I continue to be in all that I'm still here. You think transplantation has almost doubled my life. Like I right. could have been that young girl that passed away in the hospital. And at the time, my parents were living in the Ronald McDonald house. And I remember they said so many families would come back and they lost their kid that day. And my parents kept thinking, were they going to be the next family that they'd go into the hospital and lose their child? And I just can't even believe that that's how they were thinking at the time. But that's right. how sick I was. Right. Um, I feel like it's it's hard for me to be angry about what I've gone through only because so much good has come from it. It's just I feel like there's just been so many beautiful moments that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for all I went through, which makes me wonder, even though it seems odd, was I supposed to go through all of them for a bigger purpose? And if I think like that, it makes it
1: more, makes it make sense. Makes sense. I mean, you know, when you can use your own experience to help others, it it does help you make sense of the situation. And, and I also know that, you know, you're very educated about your illness. It's no coincidence that people who are educated survive longer. I mean, you've said some Pretty big words there that I don't think I could say. I mean, I'd have to practice them a few times because I'm not as as efficient with the liver technology as with the kidney technology. But we have to learn to. You had to learn to speak another language. And when you have kidney disease, that's a certain language. And when you get a liver transplant, that's a different language. And you have to become proficient at it. Uh, and how did you? How did you? learn about it how did you find the resources and do you have any advice for people who are suffering from maybe needing more than one organ i think that's another thing that
0: greatly helped me make the liver transplant process so called easy is the fact that i went in with a lot of years of experience of what it's like to be a transplant patient i knew the meds like you said i knew the language I was well educated. So when I woke up and they started talking about meds and the pharmacist came in, it was like we were talking about a patient back and forth. You know, I, I went in just educated on it that it, it actually, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. You know, I, I think, I think the only thing is just making sure that they're both happy by tweaking the meds, you know, to make sure it's I'd be on a lower dose of meds if it wasn't for the kidney because the liver doesn't need as much, but I need more because of the liver. So I'd probably have a little better numbers for each if Mm -hmm. we'd be able to tweak the meds accordingly. Uh, When I think back as far as education for people going through this, when I was a teenager, I didn't have any. I didn't know anyone besides family members with the disease and many had already passed away. And I didn't know any resources. There wasn't anything. So after my kidney transplant, that's when I started seeking resources. And I wound up learning of the PKD Foundation online. And then that's what started my journey of I started a local chapter to provide support to the community. But it also supported me because I started a local support group. Um, And that's when I started organizing walks and doing public speaking and sharing my story But I think really starting with trying to find support groups, whether it's with the Renal Support Network or your local organ procurement organizations, getting connected that way, I think is such a great start. Even if you're not comfortable talking yet, you can just go and sit and listen. And you're going to know that you're not alone. You're going to learn about this journey. And I think seeing other people start to talk and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I go through the same thing. I totally understand that. And you can throw out, hey, what's your creatinine? (laughs) Hey, what's your ALT? And you can go back and forth and share numbers and you can't have conversations like that you exactly. know with
1: other I know. people I know when somebody gets up to go to you know we're out to dinner in the good old days before COVID <laughs> um, when you get up to go to dinner and you know somebody gets up to go to the restroom like are you bragging or, or something like that you come up with all this kidney humor uh, and <laughs> uh, um, you know soon we'll hopefully be able to go out to dinner but it's uh, it's interesting because you know we live, in, live and die by our labs I mean Um, I just got my labs in. I was so excited because my creatinine was 0.63. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And and what number, um, well, I want to know what your creatinine is, but what number do you look at for your liver?
0: My first number that I look at for my liver is the ALT. So as soon as I get labs, it's so funny. I instantly scroll to look at the creatinine for kidney and look at the ALT. And if they're good, I'm like, and then I breathe and then i Exactly. Grow, You're roll, like the other ones.
1: <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay, you know. I mean, I know if people don't quite understand it um until they live it because, you know, labs are everything. Um
0: and I I think that that is what is the start of what can help people is to be around like-minded people that mm-hmm. truly understand you. And I think that's going to provide comfort. And in situations like that, you're going to gain the education. And it has been just so rewarding to be an advocate for myself in addition for others, to take charge of my health, to really form great bonds and relationships with my doctors and to just feed off of what I can learn from them. It just, it makes you know that you're, you know, you have a hand in this and you're helping control your fate and future. You know, it's, it, I think that's so important. So people just don't feel like they don't know what's going on and everything's out of their control. It just, uh, I think that's so important for people to understand that, that they can be that too. They can do that and with their own care.
1: Well, you are definitely an inspiration. Um, I, I love to follow you on Facebook. You, uh, you just posted a recent picture I thought was very interesting and you're, you worked with some organization to talk about scars being beautiful. And you basically are are showing your whole belly area. And it's a very beautiful picture. And, you know, trying to relay that scars are beautiful, not to be ashamed of them. And, you know, that message is not provided enough in the community. Well,
0: thank you. Thank you so much. I did not have that message growing up. And I was very self-conscious of them. And, you know, I remember I was uncomfortable changing in gym class. I use my long hair to hide my back scar and they're beautiful and we need to embrace them and we need to be told that we're all beautiful and our journeys are important. You know, we are important and I just think that if people start to see that when they look at it and realize what the scars mean, you know, what they've endured and conquered and life you know, so when I look at them now, it's just, um, I just think it's, they're so beautiful.
1: Yeah, you don't, you know what, you don't say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to your best friend. Uh, that was <laughs> something I learned in my 20s because I would look at my, like, oh my God, I'm fat, I'm this, I'm that. And I'm like, wait a second, I wouldn't say that to my best friend. And so you have to like re, you know, re uh, program your mind because we can be our worst enemy. And, um, and it's, it doesn't do you any good to put yourself down. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. It actually is hurting you as much as the illness. Um, I, I wanted to just give you a shout out. You know, Valen's a great uh, writer. She won our annual essay contest that we have every year that uh, um, if you want to read it, just Google her name. Um, it actually was Valen Cover back then. I guess we're going to it's Valen Kiefer now, correct?
0: Yes, Kiefer's my married name, Cover's maiden name.
1: So, do you go by Valen Cover Kiefer or Valen Kiefer? Valen Cover Kiefer sounds like a tongue twister, I have yeah, to say. <laughs> just
0: Valen Kiefer to keep it easy. Valen
1: Kiefer. And uh, how do people learn about um Do you have a website or a blog post, something if they want to follow you? Where would they look?
0: Absolutely. have a website so it's just valenkeeper.com v-a-l-e-n like the beginning of valentine k-e-e-f-e-r and on there you can connect with me and i'm on all social media platforms under valenkeeper and you can read all the articles that i wrote on my website videos of my speeches and uh, i'm really excited to have that for people to learn more about my journey and be able to connect with me
1: and and just to wrap up what do you look for forward to in the future
0: Oh, I'm so looking forward to when I can get back to doing some advocacy out in the world again. Um, I'm thinking of all of the immunosuppressed people right now that are are enduring this unique time in our lives, and I'm you know wishing them well and hoping hoping that they're staying careful like I'm doing, and I know you're doing too, Lori. Um, Right before COVID happened, um, I really was just getting back to a normal life post liver transplant, and was so excited to be traveling again and out doing speaking engagements and events. So I'm holding on tight to those memories, and I'm really excited to be able to do that again. Um, But in the meantime, I'm really grateful for podcasts like this and Zoom videos to continue to be able to, you know, connect with people like you and others in the community. Um, I just I know this is a really challenging time for all, but I look forward to when we can all be, you know, safely together face to face.
1: Exactly. I don't know about you, but I am Zooming way too much. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, okay, I've had enough Zoom. Um, um, I'm ready to go just sit in front of somebody and talk. But uh, we're so <laughs> yeah. lucky to have all these ways to connect uh, during this time. I think of when the pandemic happened back in the early 1900s, people just kind of sat in their room and looked at each other and read with a book with maybe no light. You know, They had to wait when it was light time to read. So I try to you know give myself some perspective i have so much to keep me busy and i'm a big believer you know what this time i need to learn something new you know this is a perfect time to learn something new when we have extra time so well thank you Valen, for sharing your uh, inspirational story Two organ transplants: Valen Kiever, a kidney, then a liver. And this is the end of her transplant journey. She's gonna never need another one. She's gonna do well for the rest of her life. And uh, that's my wish for you. And <laughs> oh, thank uh, you so a much. Shout out to Noah and your family for all their support. Uh, we don't do this alone. We need a, a family to help us get through this. So we thank you.
0: Thank you, Laura. Your friendship and support means so much to me. I adore you and. I'm holding the community close at heart, and I think we just need to focus on uh, being grounded in gratitude right now and just being thankful and grateful for the health that we have. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.